From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey, this is Book Circle Online. Today, we are going to be talking about John Green's best-selling novel, The Fault in Our Stars. Now, we have a panel of esteemed readers joining me today, but before we start, we have to say we will be talking about spoilers. There will be blood and spoilers. <laughs> so let's get started. I am Jeffrey Masters. Joining me is... I'm Kylie Hodges. Hi, guys. I'm Jillian Leff. Thank you for being here. Thank you Thank for you having for us. Absolutely. Yes. So tell me, what were your initial thoughts on the book? How'd you enjoy it? Um, well... I have to say it was a very quick read for me. Um, I knew going into it that it was sort of a young adult novel. I didn't realize actually how smart it was going to be. Um, I think that I was surprised by the literary language that John Green used. Um, because, I mean, usually these these books that are being made into films, it's kind of elementary level. Like, I mean, I loved The Hunger Games, but I really didn't think it was that much of an intelligent read. Right. Um, And I I just really, I really enjoyed this. And I have to say, I finished it in a day. Really? Yeah. I sat down and I just, I powered through it. Wow. (laughs) What about you, Kylie? I loved it as well. I didn't finish it in a day. But after I hit like the 50% mark on it, I finished that last half in one day. Because I was was sucked in from the get-go, but I really... Uh, I really got into it towards the end. And I'd agree with the intelligence of the book. That's what I loved the most about it. And we can talk about that a little bit. But I, I loved how smart Augustus and Hazel were. Absolutely. I think from the first couple of paragraphs, it was very evident that the tone of the book is, uh, I don't want to say jokey, but she obviously has a sense of humor. And yet the subject matter is kids with cancer. I think the first paragraph described the support group as the circle jerk of support. (laughs) And then she's talking about a very serious thing that the elevator symbolizes, like you're going to the end. You can't make it up the stairs. And that's sad. And then I was very surprised hearing about the competition within the the kids in the group about who could survive, who could last. Mm -hmm. Like these are very heavy things that I think you can't, you can't get away with unless it's in the first person. Mm -hmm. And then that also is like innately interesting because every book about cancer, which there are a lot of them, um, from like What Remains to My Sister's Keeper, they none of them have the first person perspective on cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, wow, how is this going to work? Well, but I also appreciated that he didn't make someone that has cancer a profoundly good person because I feel like a lot of the time when you read a book about somebody that has cancer, they they have this epiphany right before death and they become this sort of saint in other people's eyes and you know they've they've seen life and they're willing to share all of these things with you and i really appreciated that he didn't sugarcoat it at all he was like cancer sucks it changes people i mean look at what happened you know with augustus's first girlfriend oof she was she started off as something and she finished as something completely different and cancer did that to her so I just, I appreciated it being a real view of things, finally. I think we were sort of craving this real view, and he, he provided it. Absolutely. I think going off the girlfriend, too, I was shocked reading that. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, when someone dies, like they said, you're supposed to say the nicest things about them. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, no, she was horrible to me, and yet I stuck it out. Like, that's so admirable. 
Yeah. I was kind of thinking about the people, you know, we're in LA, we're in Hollywood, we know people in the industry. When somebody, um, I had somebody that I went to school with, like, book something, a huge role. They're very famous now, so I will not name names. <laughs> but when they booked it, you know, of course, and nowadays you write them a Facebook wall, congratulations. And I could not bring myself to do it because I said, I did not like this person in school. I still do not like this person. <laughs> Why would I say something nice about them? Right. Maybe they haven't died, but similar situation. <laughs> I, I liked how um, Augustus and Hazel talked about those things. Like, they, they complained about the way people romanticize death. Mm-hmm. And I know that everybody has experienced somebody they know that passed away. And you do that. You kind of just fall into this lull of, of making the person that passes um, like a saint almost. But at the same time, when you think about people are just people and diseases do change you. But at the same time, you change your outlook on them once they pass. It's like you want them to be better than they were. And I guess that's part of the, the closure process. Yeah. When someone's gone, you just want to, you know, push it away. Good or bad, you need to get over it. Exactly. No, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, something I also really liked about Hazel and Augustus were that they, well, John Green, the author, made them cool, smart kids. Yeah. Brilliant. Yes. They were they're, they're, I feel like they're smarter than me. Like they're like these sixteen-year-olds that have these these worldly views and and these in-depth conversations on things that I've never I don't talk about with people very much. And it really got me to thinking that this is the kind of book that I wish I had read when I was younger to make me think it's it's cool to be smart. Yeah, I can't imagine reading this at like thirteen no. and just being thought uh, just being forced to think about infinity and dying. Mm-hmm. And you know, Hazel's kind of stuck in that in-between place. She's in between life and death. She's in between childhood and adulthood, and that's forcing her to deal with the change and her sharing that with Augustus and Augustus getting it, which is so interesting to read. Mm-hmm. You know, Cancer has forced her to become a giant reader. An Imperial Affliction, her favorite book. <laughs> one of I've read that, you know, one of my favorites for many <laughs> so years. So heartbreaking that it's not an actual book. I know. Sorry, guys. It's not real. Anna, the Tulip Man. Who was fooled by it? I feel silly. I, I totally fell for there. it. I Googled it last night. Turns out it's not real, guys. Oh, no. Somebody else knew. The minute that they mentioned it, I was like, is this a real book? And I had to yeah. Google it. Yeah. And it was not. Sadly. You got sadly. us, John Green. I know. I think, how did you guys think about the format being in first person? Did, did that take adjusting for you at all? Or did you just like it and accept it? I liked it. I liked it too. I mean, I think that I, I remember reading that John wanted it to read like a play. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, I, I just appreciated her voice. I liked hearing her say, he did this. And, you know, it just, for me, it brought me standing next to her and yeah. experiencing it with her. Which I appreciated. And like that, it was, we, it allowed us to see her sense of humor and to like lighten up this tough subject. But for me, it took a while to get adjusted to it just because I'm used to, to reading memoirs mm-hmm. where it's written from in the first person, but it's already happened. And with her, I, she's using these big words, but I didn't know had this happened yet. And then she's using like, you know, I like to walk down like the street. Because and she's I didn't, 16. Yeah, but as, even that. a 16-year-old who's this educated would not write that in there. Mm. So that kind of bothered me. But also innately in the beginning, I was like, okay, she's the narrator. She has cancer. Does that mean she cannot die because she's the narrator? Mm. I don't know if it was going to be like the help and we'd have flashed between characters. Mm-hmm. But so from the beginning, I just didn't know what that meant for the book. Well, we do know that 
We really don't know. <laughs> we do not know. <laughs> Which that is, ex- is exactly you know, John true. Green pulled an Imperial reflection on us, and we do not know what happens to the characters. Okay, but we had a closing to the Augustus Hazel story, at least. Partially. You know, we, we still... I get that her fate doesn't need to necessarily be explained, because we know that she is very sick, and we do see that throughout the book, there are certain things that she does. Like in the beginning of the book, she chooses to take the stairs up to the support group. In the end of the book, when she goes to deliver his pre-death eulogy, she takes the elevator. So we know that her condition is deteriorating, which was important. And I also think that that's why he slipped those subtle things into the book, because he wanted them to know that although the main focus was on Augustus being sick, she still has these problems. And her health is deteriorating. Exactly. So exactly. you guys were unhappy by the ending? No. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you were unhappy by shock. the ending? <laughs> I was not at all. I think, I mean, let's talk about it. I thought that just making it in the present tense as well, this I do, like, obviously we get the marriage, like, symbolism, and... Um, uh, now, I read this. It was not what I think. I was not this smart. But he wanted I do because it was infinite. Right. And he was constantly remembered in the present tense. And the present tense is constant. It always lasts. And I thought that was mm-hmm. very special. I loved it. I mean, I thought the ending was tied up with a beautiful bow. I don't need to know her fate. I'm not curious. We all know what she was going through. And I think that she sort of all left a print on us, which is the goal of the book, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that we are kind of forced to be okay with the ending because there's so much talk about imperial inflection <laughs> and the unhappiness. And I know that as a reader, I would be enraged. Right. You know, when you, you like he said, you enter into a contract when you're reading a book that you will get a beginning and an end. Mm-hmm. And I would be livid. I would never, I would burn the book. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I'm good with it. I was happy with the ending. I feel like this was just supposed to be a glimpse into a love story, and we saw the love story from beginning to end. We did. It wasn't it wasn't Hazel's life story. It was the story of Augustus and Hazel. And That's true. I thought it was really very well written. How did you all feel about um teenage love? Because I know that people sort of feel weird about it, like they look back on teenage love and say that wasn't really love. For me, I thought this was an intense love story, but I kind of want to know what you guys thought of it. I feel like they are an exception to teenage love because I don't consider them... They are teenagers, but they are I feel like they're beyond I the agree. average teen. They have to grow... When, you're, when you go through a disease, you're forced to grow up so much faster. And, and you sent us a, a fan site where people could ask questions, and I was reading some of these questions and, that John Green answers, and he talked about um, Hazel and Augustus have something in common with old people in the sense that they don't have the thought process anymore that living is I- infinite or death could be a long time from now. Old people know that the end is near, and, and so do sick people. And so they're forced to grow up much quicker. And I think that also had to do with the romance budding so quickly and everything is accelerated. Oh, see, for me, I love the romance, but I thought it was a very slow process in a good way. It just took, um, I thought they were taking baby steps to see, you know what, I, like you said, our time is limited. We don't know how long or short, but it absolutely will end shorter than we'd like. And baby steps to see, is this person good for me? Do I want to possibly give the the weight of me being a grenade onto them mm-hmm. 
And I thought,、um, I'm worried about the movie version actually being speeding up their relationship,、uh, the getting to know you process, because I thought that was so amazing in the book. But movies, out of like time constraints, you know, I'm worried that it's going to be a two day Romeo and Juliet story, where in the third day, death. Yeah. I mean, I appreciated the slowness of it. I think that it really. It really made you feel for Hazel. I mean, as a woman myself, if I was suffering from something like that, and I feel like it would be the same for a man, but just to know that at any moment something could go wrong and I could ruin another person's life just by giving them a way into my heart and opening that self, opening that self up, you know, I just I couldn't even imagine being her and even taking the risk, risk to go along with it. I think what really sealed the deal for them as a couple is when. Um, he gave his wish from the genies to share with her. And I think at that point, she realized, wow, he's really amazing. Yeah. I did not expect them to go to Amsterdam. Did you guys? No. Okay. I thought that these letters were not really from him. I thought Augustus was orchestrating them, or his, her parents were in on it, or something. Was be- manipulating the situation. I truly, up until the day they got to his house, did not believe it was real. And then we find out, it, you know, it's not what they expect. Yeah. Which is perfect. I、yes. think that was perfect. Yeah. It would have seemed too perfect. Their entire trip was so magical, and their, their dinner at RG and drinking for the first time together and experiencing all of these wonderful things, and then. Having sex for the first time、yeah. and all of these moments that were so many firsts for them, first time of really being away from their parents with all of these issues. And it sort of was like they didn't have any of those issues. You know, nothing was wrong with his leg, nothing was wrong with her lungs. And, and I, they were kids. Did, did that surprise either of you? That he was missing a leg? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was expecting something to go very wrong for Hazel on the trip. I will, to be honest with you, while she was walking up the Anne Frank stairs,、oh, yeah. I was a little nervous. I、yeah. said, Oh, this is where she'll die. This、yep. is so、mm-hmm. poetically horrible.、Mm-hmm. Which I was convinced she would die in the、mm-hmm. Anne Frank house. And as a Jewish person, <laughs> <laughs> it, was just, it was freaking me out.、Yes. That whole chapter. I thought that the whole Amsterdam scenic,、um, where they were calling the confetti falling down from the elms,、mm-hmm. but they're racing out from this house, having this devastating experience with their mentor. Sometimes I think authors can like mimic the weather with like the way they're feeling. with, And she was so upset and started to cry. But just like another masterful writing with the juxtaposition of like they're racing through the streets crying and the confetti's falling. And it's beautiful and lovely. But I have to say, we mentioned that they had sex, which is so like beautifully written without.、Um, Being too, for, what am I trying to say? Like, not obscene, but.、Um, no, I mean, there was, there was no need for a raunch. This is not a right, romance novel,、um, although it is.、Um, you know, it was, it was very beautifully written. It was a moment that we needed to know that they shared. Yes.、Um, it was really cute when her,、um, her breathing tubes got caught in her shirt、oh、and, and they described the moment, you know. And my, sorry, my favorite line in the book was during the scene where she goes, He removed his jeans and then his legs. Yes. <laughs> I love that too. I was like, this is a great writer. <laughs> and, and what a moment. I mean, for him to. So, sort of, we, we really haven't talked about the evolution of Augustus, but when we first meet him, you know, he is just like this all in strong, powerful, just 
beautiful man with all of the confidence in the world. And at that moment where she felt the nub of his leg, it was complete vulnerability. And I loved that because it was sort of breaking him down because, I mean, I feel like he tried to be very big throughout the entire book. Yeah. And that was before we knew that he was sick. And just that moment of her or him describing her just touching the nub, I just, my heart like melted. Yeah, it was so beautiful. And too, with his affliction, he can cover it up with his fake leg and jeans. Mm -hmm. And for her to have Philip always there, the oxygen Mm -hmm. tank, Mm -hmm. like there's no ignoring that. I was just blown away when she finally said, and I carry my oxygen tank everywhere I go. I was like, whoa, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, was it named Philip? Because it fills up her lungs with air. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody anybody know the answers to that? Well, that's just like, and and I I read the John Green, uh, the Tumblr that Kylie was talking about before. Um, It's called, uh, if you, only if you read The Fault in Our Stars. Tumblr.com. Um, but that reminds me of a thing that a fan a- uh, asked, and it was about Isaac. Was his name Isaac because his eyes were sick? Oh. <laughs> and John said that he is totally not that clever, but good catch. Um, but he did pick the name Isaac because of a biblical character who yes. does go blind. Yes. Oh, I see. So it's one of the yes. sons. Oh, that's that. that's a really funny eyes sick. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's yeah. a really like, catch sweet way of putting it. Like, well, my eyes were sick. Yeah, they were, and now he. Is super cool with Ray Bans on and living life. Yeah, I, that was a really like amazing character too to add in yeah. there. And how amazing was the um, Augustus story where they were throwing eggs at the car? Oh, like I we will still that. have these high school experiences. Yeah, oh, nothing just... should change. I mean, I read the book as if they were normal kids. I get that they have these issues, but I think that what John wanted to convey was that. They're going through the exact same things as a normal romance story would. You know, we have the meeting, we have the buildup, we have the kiss, we have, you know, everything that they needed, and it was just another part of the story that they were both saying. Absolutely. And the anticipation up to the kiss was just Ugh. phenomenal. I loved oh that. God, that. I moment. loved that it was there, and I loved that it was right after they both climbed to the top, and when she said, Anne. Anne would want the kiss here. She'd be cool with it. She would. She would love that. She'd be cheering on. Uh, yeah, it was um, It was a really a special trip. And I have to say, though, the mom was the escort. Mm-hmm. I, something that I cannot name, just I did not sit well with me with the mom. I think she was a phenomenal parent that was a, in this book was all of those parent-child relationships where they are just devoted with all-encompassing love. But mm-hmm. I don't know if she was written to be, like, too perfect and too cool, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was that she, like, devoted her life to the kid. I don't... Something about the mom I did not like. You know what I actually didn't... It's not that I didn't like. It just didn't uh, do anything for me was when they reveal that the mom had secretly been going back to school. Yeah. Uh, it just... It felt a little... Hokey? I don't know. It just didn't feel right to me for some reason and it didn't really like resonate with me as anything that i really like cared to know yeah and what why did she say that she was keeping a secret they wanted hazel to think that they weren't trying to move on oh before she died yeah and that they really just cared about her uh that was a devastating line the i'll never be a mom mom again again. Mm. that was the first time i cried in the book i remember yeah that was the first time and then i knew that it was getting sad after that moment. Because, I mean, how do you not get emotional about that? Right. 
And in the end, you know, she realized, or the mother revealed that she didn't mean it in that way, but at the time it came out like that, and... But still to hear that as a child. Oh, God. I I would have been... I would have been done. So tell me this. Did you guys expect Augustus to die? No. No. Really? (laughs) Uh, Well, once I found out he was sick, then I was like, well, now I know where this is going. But initially I was like, no, he's in remission. He's not sick. He has a stump. I don't know if it was because I was just expecting drama to happen. Because anytime you mention this book, people say, you will cry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when she in the beginning said that she had thyroid cancer and it moved to her lungs and that she could die at some point soon or not soon, but sooner than later. I thought, okay, so it's set up that she could die. She will not be the one to die. And then she falls in love with Augustus. And I thought, okay, it's got to be Augustus. He's the one they say is like... And I didn't know if that was me reading into it in a correct way. And I didn't know if that was supposed to be a surprise or not. But I was happy that the story continued on after he got sick and after the the death I thought um, after we found out about Augustus's girlfriend, I I thought maybe this was going to be a story about how he lost another great love, um, oh. which I think also would have been a, a good story to tell because somebody so young losing two people that he's felt very strong with. Um, I thought that that was originally how it was going to go. Um, but again, after we knew that he was sick and that he was lying to her, I sort of, from there, realized, okay, this is how it's going down. Yeah. Although, he did try to throw us off when Hazel went to the hospital. That's true. With pneumonia. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's a bad thing that this was perhaps, like, expected. You know, there's Mm -hmm. too many movies out that, you know, Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg. I think he's going to be the only survivor. You know, it's still (laughs) an enjoyable book, but the book completely changed after we find out that he is sick. And also... Not to bring in the movie too fast, but the movie's trailer doesn't reveal any of it. You think in the movie's trailer that she's dying. I mean, you do. Like, have you guys seen the movie trailer? Yeah, it was devastating. Yeah, so you think I think that it that it, you think Hazel's dying in the trailer, which is now what everyone's going to see. And I feel like everyone needs to read the book before the movie comes out because the language is going to be lost. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of it. I really think that they're going to make it, I don't know, more more teen speak. Like, mm. I, I know that you said that she said like a lot and she would go in between having really an, a really intelligent voice and a teenage voice. And I think what they're going to do is change the voice a bit to make it. Like all one or the other? You know, I don't really know. It could be extremely smart and then you see Hazel in a completely different way or it could be completely teeny. Like, it depends on who they're trying to relate to. I mean, I hope they ride the line like the book did. Yeah. But, uh, again, I always like to read the book before because we're all very – I do. And and that's one of the reasons why I decided to do this. I I said to you, oh, I wanted to read that anyway before it came out. Let's do this. Um, I just think it's important because, you know, there are intentions of the author that are lost when it's adapted into a screenplay. And hopefully that's not the case with this one. But uh, there's so many wonderful lines in the book, though, that they can just like take verbatim. Mm-hmm. And they did. We noticed that in the trailer. There was a lot of lines that they directly pulled um, from the book, which I thought was extremely sweet. And we got to see the swing set in the trailer, which was really just an adorable moment. And, and, it, and it's sort of important when she let the swing set go. And then at, at the point where, you know, he said, I really want that swing set. I really want to really play on that. Um I don't know. I just, I, I here's hoping, guys. I'm absolutely going to see hoping. it. I think oh, it comes totally. out this summer. I think it's going to be a huge blockbuster. Oh, it yeah. will be. 
And they've got a great cast. Laura Dern as the mom. Mm-hmm. She'll turn around for them. <laughs> so tell me this. I was very surprised by how engrossed they were with finding out the end of Imperial Affliction and what happened to characters. Were you guys surprised by that? Or is that just kind of like the way high schoolers are? They can become obsessed with fiction characters. I think that that was something that Hazel needed to focus on outside of cancer. Oh, That's how I interpreted it as. If I was in her situation, I would use something like that to, yeah, narrow my, my attention on. Because otherwise, you'd be obsessing over having cancer. And that was kind of something to, like, work towards. Oh, I didn't think about that. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. And there were also some other weird things that she tried to, go, to do to get her mind off of it. Um, like hanging out with that friend. Um, my Her name is, I'm forgetting Caitlin. her name, Caitlin. Yes. Oh, and they um, aren't even really friends. Yeah, hanging out with Caitlin just so she could go to the mall and lie to her and sit by herself for a couple of hours just to take in the scenery and try to be a normal kid or watching America's Next Top Model with her parents because that was what they did as a family together to try to get their mind off of things. Right. Um, and, and I it think was always on TV. Exactly. It was always Still DVR. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Um, but, but I just, I, I think that, um, you know, she had to do something. Because if you think about this thing that is living inside of you that's ultimately going to kill you, I mean, depression is a side effect of cancer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I completely agree with you 100%, Hazel Grace. You will be depressed if you have cancer. Yeah. And your entire family will be too. Yeah. But they can't, they have to fake it though for you. Exactly. There was a, um, a paragraph early on where she was describing all of the physical effects of cancer from like the puffy cheeks and the hair to this. And it was really wild. I thought just hearing about all these changes that, um, that just, you know, I don't know. I think of cancer as like you lose your hair and that's it. But I didn't think about the rest. Yeah, there are so many bodily things that can happen, and I appreciated him showing the tra- or describing the transformation to the readers because I know that you know he did a lot of research um, behind cancer for the book. His father-in-law um, is a cancer doctor. Um, he used to um, work with kids with cancer. Like this was not something new to his life. He did the research, so he knew exactly how this disease was affecting people and you know even even going as far as researching the drugs because the drug that was in the book was made up right um it was loosely based off of a drug that's on the market but there's no miracle drug for cancer you know with not yeah. yet at least hopefully in our lifetime there will be mm-hmm. um but just to know all of the research that went into it i can appreciate those little those little subtle things much more because I know that he really he really cared about the identity of the character and how they were going to come off to the reader. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I was reading, too, because I was so curious. Did this person have cancer? Did he have somebody in his family? Because he knew so many specific details. I'm trying to remember. On that link you sent me, he mentioned that this book was a, loosely about a woman or a child named Esther. Esther. Mm-hmm. Do we know who Esther is? Um, I don't, well, I personally don't know. Um, I don't think that he actually mentioned it in the notes when he was answering the question, mm-hmm. but loosely based off a person that he knew. It sounds like Esther was a child. I think she was in her late teens, I read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I just said this person has to have some kind of mm-hmm. 
like experience from the support group, like this the guy who's the dick. I forget his name. Jake, oh. Jack. I forget. Somebody yeah. always yeah. talking about as like ball cancer. <laughs> oh, yeah. One testicle. Yeah, he was also. Um, John Green was also a student chaplain at a hospital, mm-hmm. and he said that he was blown away by the how human everyone was despite their health. And I hate thinking that you have to think, duh, but no, it's not duh. It's, oh, wow, they don't let this affect them. That's crazy. Right. Can you, we? What? Oh, I, I don't think you could write a book this beautifully and this well thought out and well written without experiencing it from start Some, to finish. Yeah. Not, not necessarily you having cancer, but being very directly close to the situation. Yeah. And even experiencing it as a father, because I guess he had a child, um, as he was writing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said that he really couldn't experience the relationship between a father and a son or a father and a daughter until he had this child and he sort of just poured it into the writing. Absolutely. And it's interesting. He made the father more emotional in mm-hmm. the book than the mother. I'm sure he could probably relate to being a dad. More <laughs> more, so. Yeah. Very, very loving parents. Yeah. I, I just appreciated the book so much because I'd never read anything like this mm-hmm. from the subject matter to the tone to... It's. I think it'll be around in the young adult world so uh, for like years to come, and I think it's so nice that kids have a book like this to read. I think that a lot of people are turned off by it because the first thing people say are, "Hey Jeff, listen, this book's going to make you cry." Right. Mm. Like I would rather somebody say, "Guess what? I just read this book. It's about a kick-ass love story between two people that are passionately in love. You should read it." Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should do the PR for it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, like, I, I feel like it's a hard sell when you say that it's really sad because sometimes people don't want to get into that. But there was so much more to it than those sad moments. And they brought up so many intellectual issues that you would, of course, consider if you were at 16 and considering death as like a real possibility in your future as opposed to college. Um, let's read a passage from... This is in the support group, Mm -hmm. and I think that this is the thesis of her beliefs as well as Augustus. Page 12. There will come a time when all of us are dead. All of us. There will come a time when there are no human beings remaining to remember that anyone ever existed or that our species ever did anything. There will be no one left to remember Aristotle or Cleopatra, let alone you. Everything that we did and built and wrote and thought and discovered will be forgotten, and all of this will have been for naught. Maybe that time is coming soon, and maybe it is millions of years away, or even if we survive the collapse of our sun, we will not survive forever. There was a time before organisms experienced consciousness, and there will be a time after. And if the inevitability of human oblivion worries you, I encourage you to ignore it. God knows that everyone else does. Hmm. Everyone is ignoring this, and she is forced to face with it. Mm-hmm. Face it. There's no denying it. There's no running away. And she had that experience where she almost died. And like she said, then Augustus dies and people show up and talk about him like they're his best friend. And they can't. And she says, where were you? Yeah, I I think that that's a very easy thing to level with because I feel like everyone has lost someone here. And it sort of just pisses you off when you're there and you, you see these people that you've never met before in your entire life talk about this person like they've spent all of their time with him, yet you have spent every waking moment that you have that you are able to with them. And it's sort of, it's so, 
Like, you don't want to remember them in that way. Right. And that's what pisses you off about it. You don't want to remember them through these people. You want to remember them through you. Yeah. And you want to remember the good parts, too. And exactly. yet you have your most recent memories that are not great ones. And it's hard to ignore when you're dealing with it every day. Exactly. Shall we end it there? That's tough. I'm just... Yeah. I know, Jillian, you're reading another John Green book right now. Can you tell yeah, us about that? Um, well, actually... <laughs> I just opened it before. Um, I Tell us about paragraph one. The, the, <laughs> the title is, uh, it's something Alaska. I don't know. Basically, I went to the bookstore this weekend and there was an entire John Green display. Um, they sort of are putting him on blast. He's like one of the most popular young adult novelists um, yeah. of our time right now, uh, which is truly amazing. Um, and I bought another book, so you sold me on this one, sir. Um, I will be diving in right after the Oscars. <laughs> he, I was shocked, has the, that viral video about healthcare. He has so many viral videos. He has that YouTube channel, the Vlog, the Vlog Brothers, Brothers, where they I, they did not communicate in person for a year. They only did videos posting back and forth. And I know that once I saw this healthcare video that has been on like Upworthy every other week. I was like, oh my God, that's John Green. The guy's brilliant. You would never think that that person, that like overly caffeinated, crazy kooky, woo, wrote this. I, I don't think yes. I would. No, I wouldn't think that, I would think that he would write something intellectual and smart, but nothing with, I don't want to sound like trite, but nothing with this much heart and nothing with this much like emotional pull. This is one of the most emotional books that I've read in the past couple of years. Well, I was looking at more of a Peter Van Houten that wrote the book, Imperial Affliction. Of I, I was thinking more along the lines of that is somebody that would write this, you yes. know, somebody that went through some things, wanted to relive it romantically. Right. Um, because John did say that there are moments where he feels like him. You know, he... He doesn't know as an author how he wants things to end. He feels like he doesn't need to explain himself. It's not something that's important to the end of the book. And I feel like that's how Peter felt. And although he didn't have, you know, the alcohol problems mm -hmm. and and all of these things, uh, John really likes listening to Swedish hip hop. Mm -hmm. Does he? He really he does. does. He really does. <laughs> Which I found so adorable and interesting <laughs> that he sort of sprinkled his own life into this, you know, because I feel like authors do it somehow. Um, they try to live through these characters, but um, I just appreciated the little nuances that he threw in of course. that were all him. Um, and the book started with a Peter Van Houten quote from an Imperial Reflection. Yes. <laughs> the fake book. Fake book quote. I went back and was like, wait a second, is this a fake book that he quoted in his own real book? That he did. It's like his he alter ego where he gets away with these intellectual debates. That he did. Reading the conversations between Augustus and Hazel. I, hey, what's her name? Hazel. Hazel. <laughs> um, to me, I'm such a big fan of the Before Midnight series. And um, with uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphore, Dempsey, Julie D. Where it's such intellectual conversations. Fast. And it's like an hour and a half movie and they don't stop talking. Mm -hmm. And you just need a breather. And they cover every subject from your favorite grandma to death and infinity oh. and eternities and the infinities of infinities. And I was like, wow. This like belongs in that genre. A young version of Before Midnight. Exactly. <laughs> this was... The, if they survive. Uh, I don't want to say that. I just <laughs> hope that the movie encapsulates, encapsulates that. 
I'm excited and nervous for the movie, but I, yeah, I have I have faith. I feel like John Green is somebody that would be very active with the writing yes. of the screenplay, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think that he would be willing to let the movie go to the screen unless it was staying very true to his wording and, and the tone. I agree. It's such a loved book. Mm-hmm. I think that they would have. I mean, the book sold over a million copies for a, like a novel. That's crazy for mm-hmm. like just one. Right. You know, um, also, um, the guy playing the Peter Van Houten, I love him, is uh, William Defoe <gasps> no! Spider-Man. I love him. Which is automatically perfect. Oh, my gosh. I love William Defoe. He's from Wisconsin, shouting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the book release, I didn't know this until I read the, the Tumblr, but apparently Barnes & Noble released copies before they were supposed to. So these, a bunch of books went out early. Hmm. And it was this whole big controversy and, you know, Obviously, John Green was extremely upset when it happened because there was really no build-up to the book. I mean, people read it right away. I mean, look at me. I read it in a day. Of course. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to talk about it. They want to post on the internet. Exactly. Yes. And it was so immediate. The reaction was so immediate. And in the end, it did not hurt the book. But he was extremely hurt oh. uh, you know, in the beginning. And he realizes that it was an accident and that it's not, you know, the competency of of the staff over there. They they had, it was just a flub. You know, they had no idea what they're doing, but I thought it was interesting that the book went out and and people just, it it lit like a fire. Of course. Yeah. And I was shocked too. He was saying how uh, much difficulty he had writing the ending. He didn't know where they should go, whether they should go to Mexico and find like experimental drugs and live forever, (laughs) or they should just like all die. Like he had no idea. But to me, the ending is so subtle and not flashy and just it just melds perfectly and closes a story with like a tight little lock of the key. Mm-hmm. And I was just shocked that uh, it took so much effort to get there. I was surprised by how okay I was with not knowing Hazel's fate. Mm-hmm. I thought that I would be upset if I didn't know what happens to her. And and he summed it up well. He made me feel okay with the yeah. way that it ended. Well, I thought it was interesting that you guys both have thought that this book was Hazel and Augustus's love story. Because to me, it was Hazel's story. And Augustus was like a major part of her life, but it wasn't her entire life. I didn't feel that way until it was done. Okay. And I initially, because I thought he was going to have some sort of epilogue, like, okay, Hazel died on this day or whatever. Of course. Um, but once it ended, I thought, oh, oh, this isn't, this isn't about Hazel. It's bigger than that. Yeah. And also, it's about, it's about living. It's not about dying. And I think that's why we don't see Hazel mm-hmm. pass or know of her future. Right. I guess that's hard, too, to end a book where your neighbor, narrator dies. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I, I just, I knew when I immediately opened the book and, and the character of Augustus Waters, this huge name was mm-hmm. announced. I knew that he was going to have a profound impact on her life. And that's where it changed for me. Yeah. That moment that they met at the group, I knew immediately that this is not her story anymore. This is theirs. theirs. Yeah. She is telling their story. Absolutely. Which, I, I mean, I loved. I, I think I would have not liked it as much if it was just her story. Interesting. Well, I also just want to say I really loved that he didn't actually smoke. Yes. That he just put oh. them in his mouth. That killed me. <laughs> well, your metaphor I, will have to wait till we're off the plane. 
Yeah, well, I great. mean, no, it's, he was it's, a charming character. He was very with, charming. With a I great was game as a guy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he worked with what he had. I appreciated the cigarette because it was it showed that he had control over a situation. I'm going to put this cigarette in my mouth, but I'm not going to allow it to kill me. <laughs> and this false sense of power that I feel like he was searching for, and he found it in the cigarette, which I thought was brilliant. I just I loved yes. that. Yeah, yeah lots I loved of small him. details were just so wonderfully crafted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So tell me, are you guys? I know you're reading the Alaska book. Are you reading anything else right now, Kylie? No, but I am going to ask Jillian what other books John Green has. In store. <laughs> I am going to give Kylie yes. that book after I finish it. <laughs> Perfect. Right, 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 right. Well, I'm actually currently reading. It has nothing to do with John Green, but I figured why it's small talk or reading as well. I'm reading Bill Clinton's memoir. Mm-hmm. My life. It is over 900 pages. Oh. It is a... He, the amount of detail that he goes into is mind-boggling. Does he talk about the affair? He does. And like How a true politician, to. he... It's very... Um, I did not have sexual relations no. with that woman. It's very... <laughs> That's um, the name of the chapter. It's very direct and vague. He says, oh. you know, from the months of November to February, we had a series of brief um, and inappropriate encounters. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, thank you. You told me what happened without actually telling me what happened. Right. Brilliant. I'm a big Clinton fan, though. Okay. Yeah. But until next time, maybe we'll do one of these books. Maybe we'll do another book. Yeah. We, of course, do other books. But um, <laughs> where can we guys find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me at Jilly Leff on Instagram or at Jillian Leff on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at the Kylie Hodges or on my website, KylieHodges.com. And I am on Twitter at JeffMasters1. We will see you next time. Thank you. From managing editor Jason Skomada, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to BookCircleOnline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.